All right. Good morning, everyone. Happy daylight savings time. All right. Normally, we don't do this because I think we're often a church full of tired introverts on Sunday mornings. I want you to say hello or good morning to at least three people around you as we get started. I think on today, we need this. So go ahead and say good morning to someone. All right. For, for many of us, this is the uh, time change in the clocks that we all dread because we get one less hour of sleep. If you know me, I'm super weird. I look forward to this one because I'm like more daylight. I wake up early anyways, but I think it's a sign of aging because even I needed an alarm today, which is not normal on this one. But I know we might be a little bit um, tired this morning. I've learned that many of us are not morning people, um, and yet... Uh, it's good to see you all here, and hopefully as we look into God's Word, um, that he'll be really speaking to us and um, encouraging our hearts today. I want to start by reading um, at least half of our passage today. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 19, and um, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read the first half of the chapter for us. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to to the Lord, Uh, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and how you've been speaking to us about um, how to follow you in the wilderness. And God, while we may not be in a physical wilderness uh, the way that um, the people of Israel were uh, many years ago, Lord, we know that there are times where we are, um, God, just looking to you with uncertain futures in periods of great anxiety or uncertainty God, where we experience uh, a wilderness of our own. And that is why we need your word to lead us and guide us. And I pray as we consider these words um, that we've read this morning, 
that you would be encouraging our hearts and that we would see that you are a God who truly loves us and wants to be with us, not just in the mountaintop experiences of our lives, but also in the valleys and in the wilderness. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would have open hearts and open minds to receive what you would have for us this morning. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So in this passage that we just read, we saw Moses go up to the mountain, and it says he goes up to God, right? And we're going to talk more about what that means as we go along. Um, this mountain, uh, you can see it in the passage, it clearly had special meaning um, and special circumstances for God's people at this time. And we'll do some review in a moment, and we'll see why that is. I wanted to put up a picture of a mountain here. Um, I experienced climbing this mountain this last summer with Ken, you know, one of our elders. He's shared about this. And with Melody and Peter's dad, the three of us went up to the top of this mountain. We were backpacking for a couple days. Some of you guys are like, Dan, you guys keep talking about this in sermons. Find some new material. But it was such a great trip that we continue to share about it. When we were, this is a, um, this is a mountain called Sawtooth, Sawtooth Peak. It's uh, something like 11,000 feet high, something like that. And uh, when you are standing at the foot of it, knowing that you're supposed to go and climb up this thing, it looks like, it looks really intimidating, right? And so um, that was one of the coolest parts of the trip was that once you get up top of it, when you're standing down below and you're like, how in the world am I ever gonna climb up this thing? There's a sense of intimidation where this mountain is like this really big intimidating thing, right? Now imagine for God's people, as they're wandering in the wilderness, they know that there's this mountain where Moses goes up and he communicates with God. And you'll see this happen in future passages. Um, it's interesting, like I've had this picture in my mind that whenever God speaks to Moses, Moses climbs up to this mountain because he's like, I don't know, higher up and closer to the heavens for some reason. But actually in the passages we've been reading, we've been, it has not said where Moses was when God would speak to him. But in this passage, he goes up to the top, of, or he goes up to Mount Sinai, and that's where he has this really important conversation with God. And so, um, Mount Sinai is a really important part of the wilderness experience for God's people, and that is because God makes this covenant with Moses on behalf of uh, all of His people. And we read that in some of the short verses that we. Saw. So we're going to see this morning how Mount Sinai is a really important part of the wilderness. If you haven't been with us, we've been doing a series called Worship in the Wilderness. Um, some of the things that we've seen in the book of Exodus, um, we didn't see these first two, but it's part of the story. Uh, if you know the book of Exodus, God's people, the people of Israel, they were enslaved by Egypt, who was the dominant power at this time. It's one of the important things about us studying uh, the Old Testament is that these are not fables, these are not make-believe stories, but they're actually uh, things that have been passed down historically from generation to generation. And if for all of you young people who have done middle school social studies or history, you've studied ancient Egypt and um, you know all of the, the contributions that ancient Egypt ha has had in our world, and you see that this was a real time period and God's people, the people of Israel, fit into this in a very real way. And so because they are enslaved by Egypt, this world power, Moses leads God's people out of slavery and into freedom. 
And after Pharaoh, the ruler of the Egyptians, lets them go, he realizes, ah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Like, who's going to take care of all of the labor that, you know, that they've been providing? And he goes and he takes his army and he chases after them. And if you know anything about the, the story of Exodus, you see that God um, just helps create this miracle where they walk through the Red Sea on dry land to escape from the Egyptians and to go out into what we are now describing the wilderness, right? And that's the miracle of the Red Sea. And while God's people are overjoyed to get away from uh, the Egyptians who had been oppressing them for some time, when they are out in the wilderness, they experience new and different challenges on their own. We've seen how they have been dying of thirst and wondering where the water would come from that would provide for them to continue living, right? We've seen how they are hungry and God provides manna and quail. And then they're dying of thirst again, um, and then they get attacked by the Amalekites, and God protects them and helps them fight off this foreign nation that's trying to conquer them. And then last week, we saw how God gives Moses wisdom for how his people should uh, kind of govern themselves, how they should relate to one another. And last week, Daniel shared with us the importance of in a church community, in a community of God's people, it's not based on what one person does or what two people do, but it's how we can all help serve God together and experience the benefits of that. And just a quick side note, uh, just to kind of uh, think about that. Um, I was very overwhelmed in a good way with some of your responses to Daniel's message last week. Um, I was in the kitchen, like, waiting for the food when he talked about the donuts. I didn't even know he was going to talk about the donuts. But there were two people who came up to me after service and said, Dan, can I help, like, bring the donuts, like, in future weeks? And it's a good lesson for us to know that many of you have hearts that want to serve God's kingdom, and we as pastors need to get better at asking for help. And so it's, we are a work in progress in that area, but the joy of getting to serve God together is something that I think is really important for us. And it was an important lesson for Moses within his leadership, but also for God's people as they lived as a community. And there's going to be more on that when we get to the Ten Commandments coming up. But this is where we've been in the book of Exodus. And now we get to see how God's people have this very defining experience at Mount Sinai. It is an important uh, geographical and physical uh, kind of landmark for God's people, but it's even more important because of what it represents for them spiritually. And so um, as we've been talking about the wilderness, uh, when I asked how we would define it in the very first week, uh, Jaden, who's not here, he said, it's outside of civilization. And that's part of the definition. But just to remind ourselves, um, how we are defining wilderness in the, in the scope of this series is really when our survival and circumstances of our future is out of our control. And that's how it was for God's people. Yes, they had escaped from the tyranny and the slavery they experienced, but they, they did not have any control over where there would be water for them to drink, where there would be food for them to eat, these are things that are very simple for us because we have food and water in our homes. Um, but for them, their survival depended on not knowing their futures. And we may not experience it in the same way, but we have said that we experience the wilderness a lot in our own ways when we can become very anxious about our current circumstances, about our futures, about things that might be difficult for us. And when we are in need, I think we are more often prone to actually receive God's help or want God's help. And that is an important truth for this series. Um, for many years, uh, not just me, but other members of our uh, family, 
Um, we were trying to share the gospel with my grandfather um, for many years. We could not get him to go to church. Um, he was very against it. Um, I, I give up easily, so I think a couple times when I tried to invite him to church or talk to him about the gospel, um, he, would, you know, he would say something that would cause me to not want to try again. My dad was far more persistent. And um, for years, we would try to invite him to come to church. Um, after several years later, when he had a minor heart attack, and I went to go visit him in the hospital, it was not life-threatening. He was, um, he was fine, but I asked him at that time, I said, Grandpa, can I pray for you? And it was something that I didn't have the courage to ask him most of the time when things were fine. But in that moment, because of his situation, he agreed to let me pray for him in the hospital. And I share this story with you just to say that when we are in need, we are actually far more open to the idea that we need God's help. And that's what it was like for the Israelites, wandering through the desert, wandering through the wilderness. And so that's where this interaction and this covenant that God gives them at Mount Sinai is so important for the relationship between God and his people. So we're going to see three things in today's passage. When it comes to this covenant that God makes with his people, first we're going to see what God does, and then we're going to see what man does and finally, we're going to see how this covenant that God makes with his people on Mount Sinai, uh, it brings the presence of God. It's a way that they get to experience that God is truly with them in the wilderness. And if we know and we acknowledge that we go through the wilderness in our own lives in many ways, many times we are looking for God's help, God's guidance, and more than that, probably just God's presence. And that's why this is such an important passage um, for us this morning. So first, God's covenant what does God do at the start of this passage? I've given us a, a review of what we've seen so far. Um, and so after all of these things, the provision of water, manna, and then um, the conversation that we saw last week where Moses talks with Jethro about how they're going to function as like a people, um, how they're going to help one another, um, then we come to this place that is called Mount Sinai. And so Moses goes up to the mountain to meet with God. And what does God tell Moses on the mountain? In verse 4, he's, this is what he says to Moses uh, to tell them, this is what you are to go and say to the people. And he says, he talks about what he has done for them. He has saved them from the Egyptians. That would describe their experience with the Red Sea. And then he talks about what he will do for them. And so it's a really powerful thing when he shares this covenant with them. So I want to reread that one more time. So he talks about what he did to the Egyptians and how he had brought them out into this place to experience their freedom. And in verse 5, he gives this covenant, he starts to give this covenant that is very important for the people of God. And he says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And he says, these are the words that I want you to share with your people. And this is a really powerful picture when he says you, not just meaning Moses, but the people of Israel that are wandering the, the desert with Moses, they are to be a kingdom of priests. In a sense, Moses is acting as a priest where he's kind of hearing from God and then sharing the truths of God with his people. And if you read throughout the Old Testament, you will see how the nation of Israel, their relationship with God was meant to be an example to the other nations where people could see that there was this all-powerful but also loving God. 
and then that they could be a holy nation, as he says. We talk about the word holy, meaning to be set apart, and that's certainly what it was like, and we see that throughout the, the Old Testament, that the people of God, the people of Israel, there is something about them that is different from the other nations that people would look upon and wonder about, and that is what God is saying here as he makes this covenant with them. And so we see that God provides this covenant relationship with his people. If you think about what we've read so far in the book of Exodus, I find this covenant to be a little bit surprising or shocking. Why is that? Um, It's a bit shocking given the Israelites' behavior throughout what we've read, right? We've said there's been a lot of complaining. It's very easy for me to see the complaining because, like, you know, I... I'm I'm a generally positive person. I like to encourage people. I always have a smile on my face on Sundays. But if you really know me, I could complain with the best of them, right? And so that's where I really relate well with the Israelites. Any form of discomfort, it's very easy for me to complain, either in my mind or very much externally. And so if you spend enough time with me, you will hear me complain quite a bit. And there's been a lot of complaining that the Israelites have done. Um, This past week, I got to go visit my parents for a couple days down in Santa Barbara. And um, it's amazing what happens when, like, I spend time with my parents. It's like I can very easily turn into that whiny child that I was, like, many, many years ago, right? And I, um, when I play golf with my dad versus when I play golf with, like, other random strangers, I realize, like, I'm a lot more pleasant to be around, around strangers, than, like, when I turn back into that, like, 15-year-old whiny child when I'm with my dad sometimes. It's like I'll start complaining about everything. And when you think about God's people and how they've complained to Moses, and like Daniel showed us a couple weeks ago, like to the point where they wanted to kill him, even though he's like the one who's trying to help lead them and guide them, there's been a lot of complaining and a lot of just even a sense of wanting to turn back. And they they think back to their time in Egypt when they were slaves, and they're like, well, at least we had food and water. Like, why don't we just go back? There's been a lot and a lot of grumbling, right? And yet God says, If you will listen to my voice, if you will obey me, you will be this kingdom of priests. You will be a holy nation. All of the complaining, the wickedness in their hearts of wanting to turn against Moses as he's been leading them through the wilderness, none of that affects that God would give this covenant with his people. And that's the amazing truth about our God. And so if we could just camp out on those, that idea here in these first six verses, before we get into the specifics of the covenant and what man is supposed to do to follow it, that relationship in the wilderness simply would not exist without God's initiative. And that's who our God is. How, how well we've held up our end of the deal, which is an important part of this passage, does not stop God from coming to us and wanting to be a part of our lives. And that is why Jesus came to this earth. Though God's people throughout generations would try to follow him, but inevitably would also fall short, they would turn to other gods at different points in their history, it doesn't stop God from loving us and wanting to have a relationship with us. And that is so important here in the wilderness. Why? Because without God's initiative, without God providing this covenant and his presence with his people, the the people of Israel would be wandering the desert on their own, searching for food, searching for water, trying to fight off all of the other nations. 
Um, we've been picking and choosing like which passages to go into it, but Daniel briefly talked about a part we haven't really gone into, but after the second time that the people are looking for the water, then the Amalekites, who are a rivaling nation, come and attack God's people. And what did Daniel share with us about that passage? When Moses, who's holding up his arms on top of a hill during the battle, supported by those around him, because you know if you've been in youth group when Daniel's around and he makes you all do shoulder exercises, it's like you're tired after like five seconds because he likes to do that to you guys. But as Moses is holding up his arms, as long as his arms are in the air, the people of Israel are winning the battle, right? And this comes directly after all of the grumbling and the people even wanting to turn against Moses because they're having trouble finding water. That's how gracious and compassionate our God is, that he has provided a way for us to know him. And in the wilderness, that is extremely important because without it, we are left to wander the wilderness on our own. And I really think about this when I think about a lot of the trials that our world has experienced on a global kind of perspective coming out of the pandemic and a lot of the challenges that we see in the news um, day in and day out. And I just have to pause and be so thankful that like, I can turn to God in the moments where I feel overwhelmed or where I'm in the wilderness. And that is the difference of acknowledging that God is real and feeling his presence and experiencing a relationship with him when we go through the wilderness. And I, have, I can shudder to think about what it must have been like, or what it could have been like for God's people if they did not have a relationship with God and they're just wandering through the wilderness trying to start this new civilization for themselves. Without God's leading and guiding, they would not have made it. They probably would have killed Moses. They would have devolved into chaos because that's what we do as humans. And yet, in, just like my grandfather after he had his heart attack, when we go through the really trying moments, we actually start to be more open to the idea of, well, I wish God could help me. And that is all because of what God has done for us, giving us his son, Jesus Christ, many years later after this. But even in this moment, what this foreshadows in this time of, of wandering for God's people is that God loves his people and wants to make a way to be with them. And that's what this covenant is. And when we get into the specifics of the covenant, we'll see how those are important. But the fact that God gives his people this covenant is a reminder that he is leading them through the wilderness and that he can be the one that they turn to for leadership and for guidance. And so a quick point of application before we move on to kind of our end of this covenant. Do we know that God wants to be with us in the wilderness? If you're like me, many times when we go through challenges in our lives, we immediately turn to our, our, the human part of our brain that just wants to solve the problem. Think about, okay, how can I figure this out? But I've realized the more that I can stop and pray and remember that God is with me, it actually puts me in a greater sense of peace to figure out what might be going on and how I can kind of press on in the midst of certain trials or or challenges. That is because of the relationship that God has made a way for us to have with him. And so that's the first thing that we see. It's shocking, really, that God makes this covenant with his people, given how willing or not willing they've been to kind of worship him and acknowledge him and follow him. Amidst all of the complaining and grumbling, God loves his people so much that he gives them this, this covenant, right? So that's the first thing that we see, that God, uh, this is what God does. He gives this covenant. Now, secondly, in the middle part of this chapter, 
we're going to see what does man do and what is man's role in the midst of this covenant. And um, if we are going to, if I'm going to sit here and kind of be hard on God's people for how much they complain or how much kind of like uh, just lack of, of worship there is at times, we also really need to acknowledge when they get things right. We've put up the verses in 1 Corinthians 10. I'm not going to do it today because we've done it plenty of times. But many years later, the Apostle Paul writes about why the Exodus account, uh, why the story of Moses is so important so we can learn from it, right? And if we're going to learn what not to do uh, in terms of like trusting God and being thankful and not complaining, we should also acknowledge when the people of God get something right. And they do something very good here in this passage that is tied to this covenant that God is making with them. And so that comes starting in in verse 7 in the middle section where we see what does man do as a result of this covenant that God provides. And so Moses comes down from the mountain, right, in verse 7. And he calls the elders of the people and he shares what God has said to him on the mountain. And in verse 8, the people say something that might seem uh, like we might just, it might just seem like a small detail in the story, but this is what they say. They say, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And that is an extremely important phrase for them to say at this time, right? Now, we may at times utter something like that where we might say with great sincerity, like, God, I want to follow you. What you have said, I want to follow. And then we might forget because we're human. But that initial, like, that initial desire that they have to do everything that God has spoken to Moses is a really good desire, that the people have. Um, this, is, uh, this is a type of covenant that, um, that we see that's a little different from a previous one. If you remember back in Genesis, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, there is nothing that Abraham has to do in that scenario to receive the covenant that God has given him. Remember, he, uh, he's childless for many years, and God says, look up at the stars, and however many stars there are, that's how many descendants you're going to have. That was all God's doing. In this type of covenant, because you see two types of them throughout the, throughout the scriptures, and some people might argue that they're, they're sim- more similar than that, but here you see there is what God is doing, and there's also what man is called to do. Abraham had to sit back and watch, and he was still following God in a lot of ways, um, but he got to see how the covenant that God gave him would come true over time and over, over many decades. But here, God is giving his people specific instruction for how to follow him, and words that are very important for us as well. And that's what the people are agreeing to when they say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so in order for us to experience our relationship with God, it really ties into our church theme for this year. It's having the same attitude that the people have here in verse 8. And if you remember what our church theme is, we're here in March, and we're still talking about it, which is a good thing. We haven't forgotten it yet. But our church theme, it's not there on the slides because I forgot to put it in. But what is our church theme for 2023? It's to put out into deep water. And it, is, it comes from the passage where Jesus is directing Peter, after fishing all night, not catching any fish, to go out into deep water and to trust him and to listen to his voice and to obey And that's what Peter does. And the reason why God put this theme on Elder Rupert's heart and why he was so excited to share it with us back in December is he said, after Peter listened and obeyed, his life was never the same. And I think that's true for us. When we listen to God's voice and we are willing to obey him, when we are willing to have the same heart 
that the people of Israel have here, I really truly believe that our lives are not the same. And it's not just about listening, but it's about obeying. Peter listened and obeyed when he heard Jesus' voice. And so what does this look like? Let's look at some of the specifics then in the passage and what, uh, what Moses says to the people specifically. So um, Moses tells them in verse 9 that God is going to appear to them, um, uh, appear to the people, and uh, this is what Moses instructs the people to do, starting verse 10. He says, let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. That's a pretty crazy supernatural thing to, um, to kind of be anticipating. The people have seen God do miracles like the Red Sea, um, or uh, the Ten Plagues, even before that. But here they are going to get to see his presence in a supernatural way. But before they do that, they are supposed to wash their clothes and get ready to like experience God's presence. Um, I think, and I think this shows that um, that there is a uh, there's a willingness on the people's parts um, because we'll see later that they're willing to do this. Um, and so, but then Moses goes on and he says, you, in verse 12, you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it, because whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, then they shall come up to the mountain. I don't fully understand all these instructions that are very specific, but what we see that's really important is the people's attitude towards hearing these instructions, right? And so there's a specific way and a specific time period. They're supposed to go and wash their clothes and in a way ready themselves and having a posture of being ready to like experience God's presence, but not on their timing, on his timing. Many times when we want God to work, when we are in the wilderness, we're like, God, change my circumstances right now. And God is saying, on the third day, I will be there. Go and prepare yourselves, right? And so in verse 14, Moses goes down, he shares all this with the people, and it says that they washed their garments. Now that might seem like a small detail, but that is a picture of obedience to what like Moses has said that God has already said, right? And I don't know, I think that's a really big deal because if we were to think about like being out in the middle of nowhere and wondering about our future and wondering how we might experience God, and the first thing we're told is to go wash our clothes, be like, why is that important? Like, I want to see like that God's real and that he's actually someone I can trust and that I can follow him and that he's going to provide for us. But this is one moment where God's people are obedient to what he asks of them. And that's a big deal. Because we see many times where they're complaining or they're grumbling, but here they want to see the presence of God. They want to experience that. So much so that they are willing to follow uh, the directions that God is giving them. And so, um, and then further on in verse 15, the way this section ends, he says to the people, be ready for the third day. There's a phrase that might, we might not fully understand depending on our translation, and he says, do not go near a woman. Um, if you have the NIV, this is the ESV that's on the screen. If you have the NIV, what it says is abstain from sexual relations. 
And the point of that is all that they were meant to do in this time was to not have other things on their mind, but to ready themselves to be able to experience God's presence. And so they're meant to, they're supposed to wash their clothes and keep their focus on being able to experience the presence of God. Now there's a lot that Moses tries to share with the people throughout this whole wilderness experience that they don't always listen to. But this is an incredible picture of obedience from the people, at least here in this small section. And what we can learn from this that's, uh, that goes along so well with our theme for this year is that do we value God's voice and his leading and his guiding in the same way that the people do during this time? Do we come before him in prayer and ask him to lead us in the wilderness? Do we vow, when we come across certain things, certain questions that we have when it comes to like uh, questions that we have within politics or just ideologies, do we come up with our own ideas or do we turn to God's word to find the solution? Because here, people are very willing to listen to God's voice and they're able to experience his presence. And I know from personal experience, when I don't, when I choose to ignore God, like it doesn't have, it doesn't help me at all in navigating the wilderness that I might be experiencing. And it's really interesting because the, um, the restriction that it says is if you go too near the mountain before it's time, you will die, right? And I think we experience the same kind of consequences when we don't listen to God's voice. It's not that we physically die, but when we don't wait on God's timing or when we're like so entrenched in our own thinking rather than following a lot of the things that God wants to share with us in his word, we experience, a, uh, we experience the isolation or the devastation, in a sense, the spiritual death that could come from our choices. And that is why it's so important to listen to God's voice, to listen to God's word, and to see what he is saying. And you see a very, at least in this passage, a very good obedience from God's people to want to listen to his voice and follow his instructions. And so what does that result in? That brings us to the final part that we want to focus on, the presence of God that comes. Like, okay, they went, they washed their clothes, they followed the instructions. What is the result of that? And we see that in the last part of the chapter. We didn't read this part, but we're going to read it now. So starting in verse 16, we see how God's presence starts to come to the people. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And so the people see this, this like picked this cloud of, of smoke, right? At the, 
at the base of the mountain. And though Moses is the mouthpiece and the one who has to go and mediate and hear God's voice and communicate with them, it is another physical representation of how they get to see God's presence that is there with them. And so their willingness to be obedient gives them this reminder that God is there and God is with them. And they get to, they get to see um, the presence of God depicted in kind of this supernatural way, right? Um, I think many times we might read this passage and it gives us this idea that God is not someone that we can confidently approach. And the important thing for us to learn from uh, the way that God made this covenant and the way that we can obey him in the midst of it and then experience his presence with us, we have to see how it fits in in the bigger picture of scripture. And so this is a way where at the time God was mediating to his people through Moses. And that is meant to foreshadow the ways that now we have a mediator in Jesus Christ, the one who has died on the cross, who has forgiven us. And now we can approach God confidently, not out of fear, but knowing, hey, it's not just like this, like, you know, very chill, like friendship that we have with our best friend where it's like, okay, God is like, you know, my best friend that I see at school. There are elements of that in our relationship with God. But there's also a way where we need to acknowledge that he is the Lord over the whole universe, the one who can help us in our times of need and in our times of the wilderness, and that we want to learn from the obedience that we see from the people here. And so if we see how God provides this covenant, and then we see how uh, there's man's part of uh, how we can experience that and what it results in, you see a very similar progression of this in the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter four. And I just wanna share a few verses with us that might help us see how do we experience the same type of covenant relationship that the people of Israel had with God. They were wandering in the wilderness, they needed assurance that God would be with them, and in many ways, though we may not be experiencing it physically, there are ways that we experience this spiritually, mentally, emotionally, where we could feel like we're in the wilderness and we need a God to like lead us and guide us. And that is where there's so much in the book of Hebrews that can help us understand what it means to experience this relationship with God. In chapter 4, verse 1 of Hebrews, we're introduced to this idea of entering God's rest. And the whole theme in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is the better mediator than anything God's people have experienced before. They were experiencing the mediation of Moses to have this uh, just assurance that God's presence was with them in the wilderness. But because Jesus has died on the cross and made a way for us to have a relationship with him, then Hebrews 4 verse 1 says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And so in the first several chapters, you see all this description of how Jesus is the best mediator for us, and he's made a way for us to know him. And the second half of this verse is saying we want to take it seriously that he has made this way, he has made this covenant available to us the same way he did for his people here at Mount Sinai many, many years ago. And if we skip down to verse, starting in verse 11, we see what our end of the, of the covenant is meant to be like, where we want to strive to experience that relationship with him. Verse 11 says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And a verse that we looked at in relationship to our theme a couple months back says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
We said part of experiencing this theme of listening to God's voice and obeying is acknowledging that his word has so much truth and that we want to follow it for all of these reasons that the author of Hebrews describes here. He says in verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And if we're willing to uh, just listen to God's voice and to take seriously his word and the ways that he wants to guide us and give us his truth, this is what we can look forward to experiencing the same way that God's people got to experience his presence in the wilderness. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And when the author talks about this time of need, I think that meshes very well with the idea of being in the wilderness. But because of who Jesus is, we get to experience his presence in a similar but yet somewhat different way than his people did, where they had to follow the specific instructions, not go too far up the mountain um, to be able to experience God's presence. And that was the assurance that God was with them. But for us now, because of what Jesus has done, Jesus is, in a way, the one who's going up that hill to mediate with God where though our sin should keep us separate from God, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we can now have this relationship with him because of his great love for us. And so in the moments where we feel very alone or very isolated or very uncertain about the future, we can know that there's a God who loves us, who wants to be involved. He may not change our circumstances like immediately, but he wants to show us the promise that he is with us and that we can experience his presence. And so just, that, just in the same way that you see this cloud that um, the people could witness, it wasn't the first time that they saw it um, at, at this time, at, on the journey that they had been in. Um, remember, when they were approaching the Red Sea, God was this, uh, kind of this kind of fiery thing that they would follow by night to get away from the Egyptians. They've seen a supernatural kind of uh, like illustration of, of God's presence before. You see another clear sign of this when Jesus dies on the cross many years later. Because we read about how when Jesus dies on the cross, what happens? It's like supernaturally dark at that time of day. And then later on when he's buried, there's the earthquake that helps like the stone not be in front of the grave and uh, in the time where he's going to uh, rise from the, from the dead. And you see this supernatural kind of phenomenon that's going on then. And I think in both of these ways, it's God's way of trying to get our attention and say, hey, I love you and I am with you. And I'm not, I'm not only this like, you know, nice guide or friend who can lead you through the wilderness, but I am also the God of the universe and you can know me. But it's not just this buddy-buddy thing. We also have to trust that he's leading and he knows what's best for us. And that's why we want to value his leading, his direction, and his word. Um, one of the most common questions I get asked uh, in the course of youth group is um, some, of, some of you all or um, youth in the past will say, Dan, how come we don't see miracles like we see, you know, in the Bible? Like God split the Red Sea or, you know, there's this miracle, all the, all the supernatural stuff that happens around his crucifixion. Why don't we see the physical effects of that today? When we started this series, I shared with you all that... Um, 
in, in the last several years, we know we've experienced a lot of tragedy in our church. And the miracle that I've seen is how brothers and sisters have gone through very, very difficult life experiences, and it has not shaken their faith in God. And though that's not necessarily a physical thing, the way like the Red Sea and God's people walking through dry land, to me it's not any less of a miracle that people could embrace their, their relationship with God to lead them through the wilderness that they are experiencing. And we get to experience God's leading and guiding because of what he's done for us on the cross, because Jesus is the ultimate version of what Moses was going up on the mountain. And so if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, we have this way where we get to know that he is with us in the wilderness. It may not change our earthly experiences right then and there. And it may not be everything that we want it to be in that moment, but that is many times because we lack, we from a human perspective, lack the spiritual perspective that God has in wanting to show us how his presence will lead us and guide us. And so the, the, the encounter that God's people have here at Mount Sinai is very important based on everything they've already experienced and what they will experience in the future but it's a way where they get to see that God loves his people and is with them. And he gives them this covenant so that they can continue to follow him. And it's a good kind of introduction to why what we're going to see next, why the Ten Commandments and why God's like desires for how his people will live are so important for them. It's a way where we get to hear his voice, to follow him and to trust him and to experience the best kind of relationship with him and with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And so I want to end by asking just a couple questions. Um, when we go through the wilderness in our own lives, do we want God's presence? Do we want him to lead us and guide us and help navigate for us? Or do we do the Silicon Valley thing, or you could also just say the human thing, where we follow our own leading and our own system of solutions, where we try to solve the problem on ourselves, by ourselves? And so for God's people here in the wilderness, uh, looking for food, looking for water, trying to ensure their survival when there are rival nations trying to kill them. It was so important for them to, ex to receive this covenant that God made with them to continue to experience this relationship that they would have with him. And then the second question for us then, can we follow the example that we see from God's people where we want to hold up our end of the covenant? Do we have the same attitude in verse eight of, of this chapter where we would say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Because when we do that, we get to fully experience like the, the covenant that God has made a way for us to, um, to, to experience with him. And so these are important questions for us to think about how we might experience God's presence in the wilderness and how we might be able to worship him even through the uncertain futures or the anxiety or the stress that we may be facing. In the same way where this was such an important um, moment for the people of Israel, we can look to the cross and we can look at what Jesus has done and see he's made a way for us to know him. And while that may not uh, always change our earthly circumstances to exactly what we want them to be, we can trust that God loves us and is with us and will lead us and guide us through the wilderness that we experience. Let's pray together. God, we thank you um, for your word. Um, Lord, I know for many of us, when we go through the wilderness, it is not easy for us, Lord. When we go through difficult earthly things, God, it's challenging for us to see hope. It's challenging for us um, to want to follow you, to want to sense your leading and guiding. 
But Lord, I'm just, I'm thankful for the brothers and sisters that I've been around in our church where I've been able to uh, just witness the way that um, people are uh, just so faithful to your leading and your guiding. And Lord, I pray that we would have the same heart of the people that we see here in this passage. God, that as we try to live out our church theme this year of listening to your voice and going out into the deep water, um, God, following where you are leading, that we would know that you are a God who is not only uh, all-powerful that we see in these supernatural ways, but God, that you love us and you want to be with us. And you want us to see that in our wilderness, we are not alone. God, we are so thankful for that reminder. And so, Lord, in the ways where we are tempted to follow our own uh, thought patterns, our own, uh, our own ideologies, our own strategies, God, I pray that when we encounter the wilderness in our lives, God, that our first reaction would be to say, God, everything that you have commanded, I want to do it. And Lord, I really believe that when we have that heart and that mind, Lord, you will be setting us free to experience uh, just the, um, the amazing blessing that it is to be walking with the God of this universe and to see how you might be leading and guiding us. So we thank you for your word and how it can instruct us in these ways. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.